What's up athletes? Zach Wagner here with another episode of the Resilient Athlete Project. Today on the show we have Gary Cardoza. All you golfers out there are going to want to pay special attention to this one. We've got some more great golf specific content coming at you. Gary is a local coach who I've been working with, uh, PGA Pro, and actually one of my golf coaches who I've been working with the most recently and um, has got a lot of great experience and is an excellent coach. So we cover a ton of great stuff on this episode, everything from his golf journey to common swing faults and pain issues with golfers, why it's so important to work with a good coach, misconceptions people have about golf, and misconceptions golfers have themselves about how to be better, uh, how to adapt the swing to a specific body type or specific you know, physical limitations, and just a ton of great stuff. Um, I've learned an absolute ton from Gary, and he's made a huge difference in my game in a very short period of time. So I encourage you, if you are at all interested in golf and becoming a better golfer, to make sure you listen to this one in its entirety. As always, thanks so much for listening, and without further ado, I bring you Gary Cardoza. All right, welcome back to the Resilient Athlete Project. I'm your host, Zach Wagner, and I'm here today with my friend, Gary Cardoza. What's going on, Gary? Not too much, Zach. How are you? Doing well, you know, h- hanging out at home. We're still in the, uh, in the coronavirus at-home orders, but uh, making the best of it, you know, so. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, so Gary is a, is a local golf pro who I started working with, who's actually my golf coach as well. Um, we've kind of been working together, me on helping him out with some of the you know health fitness side of things and him helping me uh, get my loosey-goosey swing in order. So uh, things have been going pretty well. So I wanted to have him on just to talk about all things golf today. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this will be, uh, be fun. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what we dig into here. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. for the last few weeks, especially people who listen will know, I like to start off with some icebreaker quick, easy questions just to get the ball rolling and see where things go from there. So um, what I'm going to do is give you three choices and you can decide whether you want to answer just one or two or all three or whatever. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, So number one is you can tell me a bad joke. All right. I love bad jokes and puns and and stuff like that. So that's one. Number two would be if you could pick any dinner guest, living or dead, who would that be and why? And number three is if there's like a book or some sort of resource or something that you give as a gift a lot, what is that and why? Wow. Okay. Um, let's go with, uh, let's go with question, uh, question number one. What was that one? Tell me a bad joke. My short term memory. Okay. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Yeah. I get, uh, Let's see. I got a few of these, I guess. I'll give you, I'll give you one of them. I don't know if this is a joke more than it's a riddle. Um, when, like, when is a door not a door? I don't know. When is it? When it's a jar. Aha. Okay. I like that. Does that one qualify? I like right. it. Are it we? does. I'm a big riddle <laughs> guy too. So I like, right. oh, I like the like challenged question riddles, but that's a good one. I like that. It's like a hybrid. All right. I Excellent. just had, um, I just talked to the, to Brandon recently too. He's going to be on, I think when the, I think your, your show will come out after his a week or two afterwards, probably based oh, good, on, okay. and he's like the king of bad jokes. So I told him, <laughs> I was like, you don't have a choice. You have to start with the bad joke one. So <laughs> yeah, 
Cool. Excellent. Um, and then there's one more question that everybody gets. This is my like, my like, I, I used to ask this to all my students. I still do. Um, and it's like a joke that like there is a right answer, even though there's really not. Um, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Okay. That's, that's an easy one. All right. Yeah. And then w- within the waffle, blueberries or chocolate chips? Chocolate chips. Okay. Yeah. You're half right. The correct answer is, is chocolate chip pancakes. I will also accept, I will also accept chocolate chip pancakes with fruit on, on top of them. All right. That's That's good. Yeah. I I had to go, I had to go with waffle. I'm the, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the waffle guy. Fair uh, enough. Waffle connoisseur. So good waffles are good waffles too. So exactly. It's all right. Cool. Um, so I think where we should probably start is just, you know, I know I started doing these kind of icebreaker questions because everybody always says, Oh, tell me like, tell me about yourself. And I want to know that obviously, but that's, everybody starts there. So we start with icebreaker questions and then we go to the, you know, tell me about yourself. So Perfect. tell me about, right. about tell, tell everybody what, you know, what you do and how you got there and anything else you want to give for context. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, you know, local to the area, grew up in, uh, in, you know, Fairhaven, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, pretty much went to school there after a brief stint in Florida, uh, spent a couple of winters in the Palm beach area. I was at Jupiter Island for a little while, the Jupiter Island club for a little bit, uh, came back up North, uh, shortly after that and, uh, and settled back in, uh, back in Fairhaven. Uh, so now I'm, you know, the director of instruction at, uh, Joe and Lee's, Pine Oaks Golf Course and the uh, Joe and Lee's Golf Performance Center. We have a couple of facilities there, a couple of great locations there, um, in addition to the golf shop. So our performance center lets us kind of operate year-round, regardless of weather condition. We always get full ball flight, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can go. Apparently, I, I used to say the only thing that would really stop us there, potentially at the performance center, would be lightning. Um, but now I guess it's lightning and global pandemic. Um, so I, you know, didn't expect that one, but, uh, put that one in, uh, but yeah, we, uh, yeah, exactly. But, uh, now we can, we can operate year round there. And then obviously, you know, the golf course is, uh, is a little bit more seasonal, but I've been with, uh, with Pine Oaks, uh, Joe and Lee's for about, well, this 10 years now, it's coming up on, uh, coming up on 10 years, been teaching for 25, teaching and coaching for 25. So excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the unique thing, I grew up in California, um, you know, so growing up, it's it's a lot less seasonal there, obviously. In fact, it's almost the opposite in some ways, because while a lot of people will still play in the summer, it gets so hot there that a lot of times in yeah. peak, peak golf season in New England, you know, people are, it's harder, or it's very specific, like they'll go right in the morning or end of the day kind of stuff, because it's, you know, it's 100 plus degrees, it's hard to get out and play 18 and <laughs> survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting growing up. You know, my uh, my I, my grandfather got me into the game, and um, you know, he I I started playing. I guess when I was five, and I think he was pulling me around in his pull cart though before I was five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, I got a little too heavy for the pull cart, so he was like, "All right, you're going to learn how to play, carry your club." So, um, you know, over here, growing up in the you know in the off season, our litmus was always okay. How hard is the ground? <laughs> and can we get a golf club into it right or you know on it without causing damage to our hands so um that was that was always the way we kind of muddled through the winters here yeah 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 i i always tell people ironically too i i play a lot more golf now that i live in new england than i did in california although i 
I was in high school, obviously, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, just paying for it and that kind of stuff was, was part of it. But, you know, I think I love growing up in California, but out here it's people are so grateful when the weather turns and it gets nice that everybody kind of like goes out in droves usually. Yeah. You know, yeah. You end up getting like people are real, real excited to get out and play golf and, and, and kind of enjoy the weather and all that. So it's, it's mashed into, you know, I still make the golf season about eight months long at a minimum, you know, probably, but yeah, it just gets mashed into the last time. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out, it worked out well. And hopefully that here, we're going to be able to get out there soon. Although the weather hasn't been, hasn't been great for, we're getting towards the end of, you know, we're recording this towards the end of April and we're still dealing with some windy and cold days. So. Yeah. I feel like we had warmer weather a month ago. Right. I think we did. (laughs) I feel like the winter was better. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I guess we're all cooped up in the house. So if it's going to be cold, this is, you know, now's the time get it over with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of kind of the the seasonal nature of, of golf in new England, especially in other parts of the country, I'm wondering what you've seen is the most effective way for golfers of all kind of ability levels to approach getting better throughout the year where their energy should be going at different times of the year and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, so, so I, I work, I'm fortunate. I, I work with a number of very competitive players, um, you know, including some competitive juniors. I mean, some of these juniors are competing in, uh, you know, national events, things like, you know, the U S kids, junior worlds, things like that. Um, and, and really we do a lot of the heavy lifting. I call it the heavy lifting. Like, you know, the, if we're going to do anything to the swing, um, you know, goal setting, uh, kind of self-reflection analysis, where, where did we finish the year? Where do we want to go? Um, we do all that in the, uh, you know, in the winter, in the off season, really starting, I mean, gosh, you know, October, I mean, sometimes I'll start with the juniors as soon as their tournament schedule is done. As soon as high school golf is done, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a little bit of a rest period, a little bit of a break. Uh, we might touch base on goals, figure out, you know, what worked well previous year, um, you know, where we want to try to be the next year. Um, you know, authentic goals. I like things that are, you know, that are written down, that are right. reasonable. Um, you know, if junior comes in and uh, and says, okay, you know, I, I want to win more tournaments or I want to <laughs> finish, you know, more top 10. I'm like, okay, well let's, let's attach a number to that. Right. And, uh, and get really specific. I think too, you know, um, it, that's kind of when we, you know, sort of take a deeper dive into thing. And then, you know, by the time I always tell my kids when we're coming off the winter, it's, you know, the spring, spring season, spring tournament season starts, um, you know, I want, I want everything to be ready to hit the road at that point. You know, I want the swing to be ready, road ready, I call right. it, yeah. you know, when we get, uh, when we get to April and, uh, and, you know, that's pretty much how I structure it from there. I mean, in season, uh, it becomes honestly more of a, a coaching thing where, you know, we're just nothing real crazy in the swing. We're doing a lot of practice games, you know, during our sessions, we're doing a lot of practice games, just things to stay sharp, um, you know, skill building and just playing and, you know, letting the juniors go out and, and play in their tournaments. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty similar to the the approach that I've heard that works well. And it makes sense in the sense of like, you don't want to be messing around with the swing, obviously in the middle of their season, you want to make the improvements in the off season, 
get them ready to go. And then, like you said, keep them sharp and that kind of stuff when you're going through, through the season. And um, I think another thing you said is talking about goal setting is a big thing I talk about, especially with the younger athletes to get them to understand, you know, how to set those goals that are going to actually help you get there, you know, because setting the goal is like you said, if somebody says, Oh, I want to win more tournaments. It's like, well, of course you do. I know that. But like, that doesn't really give us a way to work backwards from that goal and make a concrete plan. Whereas if you say, okay, last year I won two tournaments this year, I want to win four. Okay, great. Which four do we think you have the best chance at based on your tendencies and your swing and where you like to play, et cetera. And, and how can we make like a goal that we work our way back from and actually have touch points along the way to see if we're making progress. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, it's, you know, it's got to be specific and, and reasonable, you know, uh, realistic. Um, I, I always just, part of my coaching, I always ask a ton of questions and I mean, you know, when people walk through the door, I mean, from the golf standpoint, the number one answer I hear when I sit down and, you know, and have a meeting with somebody and, and try to figure out where they're at, where they want to be. It's like, okay, I want to be more consistent. Okay. Excellent. Well, what does that look like? to you, uh-huh. you know, and I, I tried to get their idea of what that looks like, which sometimes is, you know, right off the bat, we can determine that their idea of consistency might be unreasonable. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we have to maybe manage, you know, some expectations, but it's, I think it's so important. I think it's so important to have specific goals and uh, you know, that are, that are attainable um, and that we can develop a roadmap for. Right. And I think, you know, we've heard sometimes the, the, the smart framework, smart goal framework gets tossed around more often than is needed, but, but it's a good place to start where that's an acronym for, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based goals, right? So it keeps you honest where you can run a goal through that framework or something similar and decide, and we take that same example, like, okay, even the one I said before probably isn't quite there. You know, I want to win more tournaments. All right. Well, that's not specific that's kind of measurable sort of, but not really. Um, is it attainable? Well, probably, but we don't really know if you say you want to win every tournament you enter. No. Right. Um, is it relevant? Well, yeah, probably because you want to be a better golfer, but it's not time-based. We didn't put that in there. You know? So if you say I want to win more tournaments versus I want to win four tournaments by this date. Okay. Now it's specific. You've got a measurable thing. It's attainable based on hopefully you've kind of compared to what you've done before. It's relevant. And now you've put a time on it, you know, so it doesn't take a lot to take that next step up the ladder and make it more, probably more likely you're going to achieve it also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, it's, you start to break it down. I mean, the measurable part of that is important, obviously. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a stats junkie. Mm-hmm. When it comes to my teaching, I always kid around. I think I probably even said this to you at some point. I promised you I would never turn a lesson into a science lesson, <laughs> at, you know, like overly technical. But I mean, yeah. I'm always looking at stats and and number. I want to measure uh, everything. Um, I want to measure what's going on in the swing, and you, you know, because it, it, going into the goal setting part of this thing again, it's um, yeah. Sometimes I, I get hey, well, you know, I want to uh, you know improve my putting. I want to be a better putter. I want to hit more fairways. Okay. Um, how many fairways are you hitting now per round? I don't know. I mean, that's the very next answer. I'm like, all right, well, we need to find <laughs> out, you know, <laughs> let's, <All right. laughs> let's get a baseline, you know, let's get a baseline there. I mean, uh, on the swing and, um, 
you know, even, even with the swing, you know, with the track, man, I can baseline a lot of that stuff, but just, uh, it's important. It's so important. I think it, there's so much clarity. Um, there's so much clarity I find that comes into view with a player when, you know, you, you start to put that, uh, those definitions and, and goals in place and actually say, Hey, okay. You know, when you first came to me, you said you wanted to hit more greens. Uh, we didn't, know how many you were hitting so you know your homework assignment <laughs> was to find out in a period of time how many you were hitting and this is you know where we are now um we get the original number we figure out how to get there so um it yeah it's sometimes it, it, there's spillover effect there too i mean i find sometimes that people start looking at other areas of their game mm-hmm. and and applying some of the same you know goal setting techniques and metrics to to make it better um and then you start picking up momentum so yeah, I mean, so much of what a coach does is just helping people to make those goals and just understand, like you said, like what you said, I want to be more consistent. All right, well, what does that actually mean? What are you, What's your definition of that? What's a reasonable definition of that? How are we going to measure it, et cetera? And then once people start to apply those to different parts of their game, they have metrics to work off of to understand if they're moving in the right direction and all of those kinds of things, which is great. Um, you know, and I think you mentioned also having a lot of data, you know, I think a a lot more people are going that way, especially in the golf world of of understanding, you know, everything from swing paths and taking videos and doing, you know, doing spin rates and launch angles and smash factors and all this other stuff. And some people get lost in it, but I think as a good coach, you are one of your jobs and what I've seen you do really well is take all the data and just look at it and then just focus somebody's mind on the data you want them to be looking at don't worry about the other stuff use it as a tool and don't try to like fix everything all at once yeah no i i appreciate that i mean i i certainly try to do that it's easy to get overwhelmed um you know with with the data and uh you know this is such an interesting sport people come in and you know um it it, we're already kind of sometimes players when they walk through the door already kind of feeling bad about things you know, to begin with, you know, where the condition of their games in, they, it's a very self-depreciating <laughs> endeavor here, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, from, from a, from a teaching and coaching standpoint, you know, I always look at it. It's like, you've got two things. You can teach um, people how to swing the club, or you can teach people how to play. Now, obviously there's those two kind of, you know, travel together. You need to be able to swing a golf club before you can play, but um, you know, I like to apply those together. I mean, certainly if there's any, you know, technical issues in the swing, I like to get to those, but, um, I think it's important to take it out on the golf course and, and that's where the rest of the data comes from. So for example, if, you know, somebody comes in, I'll use your example about club path. Yeah. I mean, the track man measures, you know, between track man, I use, uh, that machine, uh, hack motion, which measures, you know, wrist angle club face, uh, body track for ground forces um you know I, we've got you know i can go on i've got more but there's you know there's some tools in the toolbox there and a lot of times i'll take a measurement initially with a player and you know after kind of looking at ball flight and talking to the player a little bit looking at the data i may put one tile up on the screen and say okay we're gonna focus on this right and this is gonna be this one thing we're gonna make you really good at this <laughs> And then, you know, we're going to cause it to spill over into other parts of the game. I think that's, you know, it's important not to overwhelm a player, get overwhelmed Mm -hmm. when, you know, when you're out on the course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
the more we talk and the more we work together, the more I see the the parallels between what we do. And a big part of that is when people come in, well, one, usually they're coming to me or you because they have some sort of a problem. You know, they have something they're trying to fix or improve or whatever. So we have to help them have less of a negative bias sometimes is one. And another is that they've got all this data and we're going to give them even more probably. How are we sifting through and understanding the most important parts of it? And the way I do it in set goals is I, usually, I call them, you know, like in the business world, uh, key performance indicators or KPIs, where I'll sit down with somebody and I'll say like, what's the one thing that we can agree on that's going to improve your pain or fitness or whatever it is the most and structure everything based off of that and then have kind of like sub goals underneath that, which is interesting to, to hear you talk about it like that as well. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very similar approach. Um, that, that I use with players. Sometimes, you know, I have to maybe shift somebody in a different uh, direction, um, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, somebody may come in and, I mean, I think a, one in particular, it, it was interesting that this individual had the stats <laughs> and wasn't necessarily applying them correctly. He was more concerned with a 15 to 20 yard fade uh, off the tee more so than he was concerned with the fact that he was averaging about 46 putts around. <laughs> and one of his goals for me, one of his goals, one of his things that he came to the door with was, well, you know, I just, I'm looking to break a hundred. So I've never broken a hundred. And I said, okay, great. Excellent. So let's, we did in a little bit and you know, you keep any stats at all. Yeah, I do pulls him up on his phone. I'm looking at him and 46 putts. I kind of like, is this right? So it was like, yeah, I can take care of that 15 to 20 yard fade, but I don't think that's where this hundred is. Right. So, <laughs> you know, said, which we did, we took care of the fade and then, uh, <laughs> then we went to work on potting though, so, but no, right. it's important. It's important to judge. It's important. Get back to the original point to have those metrics in place to figure out, you know, where, where we are and where we need to go. Right. You know, what's the old cliche? Everything counts as one. Every shot counts as one, you know? Whether it's right. 300 yeah. yards or three feet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, just, but that's not the sexy stuff. That's not the fun stuff, you know, making no. the four, four foot putts. But, you know, everybody wants to see it get really small, really fast. Right. Off the tee. So yeah. it's, uh, and that's great. I love that. You know, I love seeing that too. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's I guess fun, you know? ball's going <laughs> to be in the hole at some point. So <laughs> yeah, I know we've talked about this in the past too. Is is if, if I could, if you have a 15 to 20 yard fade, okay, that's not ideal. But if you have a 15, 20 yard fade every single time, and then you putt really well, like there's worse things to be, right? If you know it's going to fade that much and you can aim correctly and put it in the right spot, it's not ideal, but you can work with it, you know? Yes, there are. That is, that is spot on. That is so spot on, Zach. There are so many ways to get the ball in the hole. Um, and it's, you know, they, they don't have to, they, it just has to be effective. You know, I always look for functionality and effectiveness and, right. uh, and not necessarily pretty, <laughs> um, you know, as long as, <laughs> as long as the number's dropping and we're getting it in the hole, right. you, you couldn't be more right. Yeah. In some ways, golf being such a complicated game also comes down to sometimes the most simple thing possible. It's like, well, get it in as few shots as possible into that little cup. I think a lot of, a lot of sports are like that, but you know, it's almost just like take the simplicity, put it back in it, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. And and I think too, um, and I mean, you know, real back in here if I'm getting off track, by the way. Um, but you know, I think to that to that end too, it's you know, sometimes we get stuck. I think players get stuck um in a box, right? So it's gotta look a certain way. Um, I gotta do this a certain way. So meaning, right, case in point, okay, uh, you know, I'm on the tee on a par four, par five, I've, you know, I've got to hit driver. Um, you know, some players are overwhelmed by the length of the hole. Like I've got a thing when, you know, when I get out there with, with somebody um, on the golf course, and I, I do this a lot when we get out on the golf course, especially if I've got somebody who can hit the ball. Let's say I've got somebody that can, you know, move it around a little bit uh, and, and maybe they've never broken a heart, right? Um, we'll get up on, uh, up on our, on our hole here and I'll tell them, okay, you know, let's, let's cut the hole in half. All right. We're going to make two separate games out of this. And, and your first goal is to get the ball inside of the 100 yard marker in two shots, either up to or inside of it in two shots. Yeah. So once you've done that and I'll be coming out and tell them, I don't care how that looks either. Just get it inside that 102. Um, once it's inside that hundred yard marker and two, our new game is to try to get it down here in no more than three. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally when I'm transitioning someone, let's, uh, somebody who's just taken up the game out onto the golf course, you know, I'll start with a shorter distance, but I'll apply the same rule. I might change the numbers, mm-hmm. but I'll apply the same, the same rule. Um, and it's, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, uh, case in point, again, individual who had never broken a hundred, Big, 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 big fade off the tee. Um, this was one of the top three that I've seen, um, <laughs> and uh, which which we got that under control at some point too. But um, you know, he needed to needed to go out and play, and, and just you know would pull driver off every tee. And uh, I said, "Hey, do me a favor." I said, "We went out during a lesson." I said, "We're going to play six holes. You're going to hit every club I tell you to hit here." And basically, um, you know the longest club that he could keep in play with distance was like his five iron. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just, you're going to hit five iron off every tee. Yep. I said, from there, you're going to hit something to get inside the hundred. Unless we're on a par three, you're going to get it on the par three. I mean, long story short, you know, through six holes, this guy was three over <laughs> um, for the, for six holes. He was arguing with me <laughs> because he wanted to hit driver. Right. He wanted to hit three wood, wanted to hit driver. Didn't even know he was three over. And then when he got the three over, he was like, oh, geez. <laughs> oh, you're right. So, yeah, number of ways to get it in the hole. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, obviously, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of a lot of things about just getting to be a better golfer are just understanding those tendencies about yourself, one. But then the people who are really good are the ones who have multiple ways of getting the ball into the hole. So based on conditions, course conditions, weather conditions, whatever, right? You know, they can hit a fade, they can hit a draw, they can hit it high, they can hit it low, they can stop it, they can roll it out, et cetera. But it's all the same, you know, obviously the same goal. Yeah, that's the absolutely, absolutely spot on. Um, you know, I think that's why you see, obviously you see the pros, you know, they sit there and they decide, <laughs> with this little hole in the sky where they're going to hit the ball through, you know, it's going to have this much of a draw, this much of a fade on it, or, you know, so that's yeah, the, Bubba, the superhumans. But Watson's masters, I think uh, CBS replayed that, uh, you know, a week ago or, or maybe golf channel, one of them had on, they were just replaying the final round of the masters leading up into the masters. 
at uh, they had the replay on where Bubba had to hit that shot playoff hole off the draw. I mean, he probably bent that thing <laughs> one third. I mean, with that short iron, you know, um, just yeah. drawing it around that corner draw. There's an understatement drawing mm-hmm. it around the tree. Yeah, but same, right. you know, same principle. Find the um, here's somebody who uh, you know obviously uh, can really control the golf ball had a really clear picture for what he was looking for and uh, got it done. Absolutely. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about the concept of swinging the golf club versus playing golf. And I think, you know, to some people it sounds sort of obvious, but I don't think that there are a lot of like other sports. I think people understand that. Like if you want to play basketball, you need to know how to dribble. You need to know how to shoot. You need to know how to pass, et cetera. But nobody says, like, just when I'm doing those things, I'm playing basketball. Like, to play basketball means to understand how to interact with your teammates and read the plays and call the plays, et cetera. But I think there's less, for the average person, it strikes me as they have less of a dichotomy between those two things. They think, like, if I hit the golf ball, I'm playing golf, as opposed to, like, so speak more about, like, swinging a club versus playing golf and why that mindset's important and becoming better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we don't practice this game in the environment that we play. And, uh, I, you know, that's, it presents some challenges. Um, it's, you know, it's unique. Uh, there's a, um, there's a, a, a school of thought. Um, fortunately, you know, now it's, it's, um, it's waning where, you know, players, uh, because it's, that's, this is what they've been told, you know, if they go to the range and hit, you know, a hundred balls with a seven iron, um, it's, you know, they're going to, you know, that's going to translate somehow out onto the golf course into, into score. Right. Um, or if they hit a hundred balls with driver and, you know, I, yes, the block practice is, is certainly an important part of that for building technique, but, um, there's, there's not really a, a point when we're playing golf that we're going to hit, you know, 40 consecutive seven irons from a flat lie. So mm-hmm. it's, you're, you're in a, I, I like to describe it as you're, you're in a chaotic environment, um, you know, chaotic from the standpoint of the lies change, the, you know, uh, the terrain changes, um, your side hill, uphill, downhill, the wind is blowing, <laughs> the actual environment's changing, uh, and every shot that you're playing is is different. Um, so it's it's important to to find ways to as best you can, I think, mirror that at the range somehow. Mm-hmm. Whether it be you know varying targets, um, you know whether it be switching uh, switching clubs after you know, every, every couple of shots. I mean, if, if I'm working through technique with somebody, uh, let's say, you know, heavy lifting in the swing again, and we're, you know, we're trying to get something in there. Absolutely. I will probably go heavier, you know, in a blocked form of practice. Like we're going to, you know, take your seven iron and this is what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to go through these drills, but eventually those, those reps will start to get lower and then I'll switch the club. Right. Um, and then they'll get lower still and, and switch the club. And I, I think so many players, too many players, I'm guilty of that. I think we're all guilty of that. At one point when we were learning how to play the game, go to the range and just focus in on one club and just pound it. And then, you know, somehow feel like we've 
we've got it. And then go to the golf course and, and watch it disintegrate immediately right. yeah. <laughs> when we get out to the first tee. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's where um, we can, you know, do a better, do a better job uh, in, in practicing and getting that to transfer to the golf yeah. course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point to make for people who are, who are looking to just improve their golf game. And that goes back to just the basic, what we call in, you know, I know in the PT world, we learn in school all about what's called just motor learning literature. And there's research on how people learn a skill best. And, you know, swinging a golf club is certainly a very challenging skill. And, you know, there is a time and a place for what's called blocked practice. And there's a time and a place for variable practice. And when you're first learning and you're trying to, or you're trying to switch something or focus on something very specific, block practice can make a lot of sense, but you're not going to have those things stick and be adaptable to the actual course conditions. If you don't do variable practice and, and put yourself in different situations and see what happens. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, a- absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Great. Um, let's shift gears to talk a little bit more about just kind of some of the the fitness aspects of this a bit. I think I'm wondering from obviously you've worked with, you know, countless golfers over the years, you know, I think it's always interesting to talk about where you see the low hanging fruit for a lot of golfers. We've talked quite a bit about, you know, swing and that kind of stuff from a mobility or a fitness or strength power standpoint, anything of those kind of physical characteristics, what do you see as like the, the most obvious low hanging fruit for a lot of people? Yeah, I just, um, Boy, uh, certainly strength that, you know, shoulders, shoulders, hips. Um, absolutely. Shoulders, hips, core, lower back, strengthening, protecting, um, you know, lower back. Um, you know, I, I already mentioned shoulders. I mean, I, that's, you know, a big one for obvious, uh, you know, obvious reasons. Um, hips, hip mobility, um, the ability to turn mm-hmm. on the golf ball. Um, and also injury prevention, you know, I, when I'm evaluating a swing, when I'm evaluating a player and evaluating a swing, I want to make sure that the player isn't doing something in that motion that's going to hurt them, (laughs) that's going to, you know, cause them. And, and a lot of times, you know, the, the golf swing, the way that they're executing it on top of maybe their conditioning, um, you know, they're, they're already, uh, injured in some way, right. Uh, because of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it would, would you agree with, with those two? I'd love to hear what, you know, what you have to, cause obviously you work with it on the, you get guys like me walking in there and <laughs> <laughs> no, I think and, it's, it's always interesting. Cause I think you get people, Usually, I mean, you get some people who are both in great shape, great mobility, et cetera, and also great technical golfers. But those are people like, you know, look at somebody like, you know, Adam Scott, Roy McElroy, et cetera, right? Obviously. Um, right. But I think, you know, the majority of people, a couple things that I thought of when, you know, that came to mind. One was that golf is such a rotational sport, obviously. So you need to have mobility and rotation, which sounds obvious but it's not always as obvious as we think it would be. And I think another part of it is that rotation is a challenging physical skill to do. Like rotation is not something that I usually have people do right off the bat if they're dealing with pain or coming back from injury and that kind of stuff, because rotation incorporates 
all planes of motion, right? Kind of front, back, side to side and rotation all together. So a lot of times, you know, and I'm going to be putting some, some stuff out about this soon probably is more like let's build your stability, your mobility, your control in those kind of straight planes first and then add in rotation after that, you know? So it sounds a little counterintuitive. People will say, well, this doesn't really look like a golf swing. Well, yeah, you're right about that. But we want to build the foundation first, maybe take a couple steps back, build your foundation in what would be called sagittal. So just a front back plane of motion, then usually move to sort of more of a frontal back side to side motion, which people start to be able to see like, okay, I could see how this could, you know, be more like a golf swing. And then we add rotation on top of that usually is kind of a good way to approach it from what I found. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes, uh, that, that makes total sense. And it's interesting, you know, too, I I think, you know, you'll probably agree. I mean, it's, I I find that a lot of players that come in, um, the, you know, everyone at some point and, you know, again, including myself, when we were all learning how to play, you'd always hear, okay, turn, you know, you got to turn, you got to rotate on the backswing, turn on the backswing. But it's, you know, when you get the golf club on the ground, and the ball sitting there, um, you know, I think our brain looks at that and it doesn't think turn, it thinks, you know, hit, mm-hmm. hit, lift, scoop. I got to throw this in the air, um, you know, rather than make a swinging motion. I think, you know, we tend to engage because of that. At least, you know, I see that on the lesson T more upper body, you know, people throwing their arms and hands at it, mm-hmm. very little, you know, very little movement out of the body. Um, so it's, you know, that, that to me is, uh, is, I mean, that affects too, from a swing standpoint, you know, the rotation, something as simple as, as the rotational element that you described, um, can absolutely throw a swing path, club path out of whack. It affects mm-hmm. club path. It can affect low point control. Um, there's a huge spillover effect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Obviously, over the last couple of years, I've been working a lot with TPI, Titleist Performance Institute stuff, and and that's been huge. And I think it's very helpful for people. There's a few things I really like about the way they approach it. And one is that they don't expect everybody's swing to look the same. Like you said, everybody moves differently. So they're like, whatever you, whatever physical tools you have available, let's optimize those physical tools. And then if we have to work around things or develop a different kind of a swing, we'll do that. So that's one that's been really helpful too, is that we want to look at baseline mobility and fitness. We want to make sure, you know, they've, they've done all these kinds of, you know, testing, I don't know, thousands of amateur golfers plus a bunch of pros about what are the things we see physically that we'd like to have people be able to do, or if they can't do them in a certain way, we want to change them so they can swing a golf club effectively and be aware of that. You know, so that's another one. Um, you know, and then just the combination of, you know, the, the way they approach it is they have the golf professionals are kind of the, the main conduit for that. And then we have our medical and fitness professionals, everybody working together with a common language, you know, to make sure that we're taking all those different approaches to make somebody a better golfer. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, it, you know, that's also kind of what drew me to their, their model as well. I, I love the fact that, you know, they're not necessarily, uh, looking at one swing or saying that, okay, there's one way to swing the club. I mean, um, there's, there's many, um, you know, their approach is, is similar to your approach to, you know, to my approach, I'll take the motion that's in front of me, the human that's in front of me and, and figure out within the motion that they're making, what they're doing well, 
and and try to improve on that rather than you know kind of sticking something in there and the tpi you know part of that was really fascinating to me too at first when i went to um to see you know you did my screen mm-hmm. obviously i went to see you and that was that was fantastic and what was really cool for me was going through the screening in my mind i could actually start to see my swing mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, am sure you remember me saying that I, I, you know, meaning I remember, uh, going through the, uh, going through the initial screen and in certain parts saying, Oh, wow. Okay. So this is why I'm moving a certain what, you know, this is why the club does this at the top of the sweat. This is mm-hmm. why my shoulders are doing this because, you know, I, I can't move or, right. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. So, um, it's, yeah, they, they've got a really, really good approach to it. Um, it's, uh, you know, a great, great program, uh, absolutely fantastic program, yeah. uh, as it's not necessarily a model, uh, you can, you can do what you need to do with the individual you have in front of you and, and apply parts to it to just make them better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was cool to see those initial things when we, when we came in and did your screen, um, you know, TPI calls that, as you know, like body swing connection, you know, so how's the way your body moving and the way you're set up physically going to affect your swing. And, you know, just to, as an example, to see how those things connect, I think, you know, part of this for you, you know, I know, you know, and you wouldn't mind me, me sharing, you're dealing with some back pain and that kind of stuff. And that's what we've been focusing on. And I think some of these light bulbs go off when people see how they respond, how they rotate. And I just want to get into put an example out there of, like, for example, sometimes what people wouldn't understand if your main mobility restriction is in your shoulder, why that would affect your low back so much. And sometimes that's what it is. Somebody comes in with a really limited shoulder mobility and they're, that's one of the primary reasons they're dealing with back pain. And people can picture this. A couple of reasons you see this is one, if you can't get your arm overhead, what's the backswing look like? Right? Obviously, you have to be able to get your arms up overhead if you can't do that, the way you'll do that is by standing up with your whole body and kind of arching your back. And then when you go back down through the downswing, you'll just kind of curl everything over again. So you can see how that just like rapid extension and flexion of your back might be problematic. You know, the same thing comes up with rotation. You know, if I can't, what would call, be called externally rotate my shoulder. So if you're, if you're at home or sitting there or standing there, if you put your, bend your elbow to 90 degrees, put your palm out to the floor and then rotate your hand back as far as you can kind of over your shoulder, like you're getting ready to throw a baseball or something like that. Again, similarly, if you can't do that motion, if you look at the top of a backswing, you need that motion to be able to slot the club correctly. So if you can't do that, you will try to do it by using the rest of your body, therefore running into some issues down the line. So it's just an example that I've, that I've found that people kind of light bulbs go off a little bit. Yeah, agree. Um, and it's, it, it happened. It, fortunately for me, it happened very early in my uh, career. Um, long before, you know, obviously I, I met you or was wholly familiar with, uh, with TPI. Uh, I'm going way back here. Um, I, I was at a product, um, uh, I guess you could call it like a product demonstration, product demo session. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to check out the, um, um, the K vest, which, yep. uh, I believe, yeah, I mean, those, you know, they do a bunch of TPI. Um, so I was checking out the K vest and I had another golf professional in there and, um, you know, part of that session was throwing the K vest on taking a couple of swings. So, 
he, uh, you know, I hit a couple of shots with it. He, he, he looked at the numbers on the screen there really quick. Now at the time, I didn't know anything about this. I had, you know, been teaching just a very short time with no technology. Um, you know, my main focus, I, I was still a head professional, so I was more on the operations side. And, um, he, I, re- I remember him looking at the swing, looking at the video, looking at some of the numbers that Davis was throwing back and asked me what I was working on. Uh, so at the time, I was trying to get my swing a little bit more upright and, you know, just stay in posture because when I was down in Florida, I had a couple of coaches tell me that that's what I needed to do to get distance and, you know, improve consistency. And, okay, you got to get your hands and arms up here and the club's got to look a certain way. And I was like, all right, great. And, you know, I wasn't having too much success with that. And when I told this individual that's what I was working on, within a second, he just started shaking his head no. And he's like, no, no. He goes, you're never going to be able to get to that position right now. Um, and here's why. And, you know, he quickly, um, you know, showed me the numbers, uh, actually ran me through uh, two or three of the mobility screens from from TPI. This yeah. was somebody that did a lot of work with, uh, you know, with the guys out in California. Um and, you know, he ran me through those mobility screens and he's like, yeah, he goes, you can, you can practice that all day long. He goes, unless we address what's going on up here in your, in your shoulders, he says, you are never going to get the golf club in that position. He goes, you will hit a thousand balls with limited success and you will never get it there. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those light bulb, like eye opening moments. I remember driving out of there. I was just thinking to myself, wow. Okay. Wow. So, you know, if I'm going to teach here, this is, you know, this is, this is huge, obviously to say that's right. huge. It's an understatement. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think as you've seen, you know, for, that's where it can be such a huge part of it is, you know, if I, you know, get somebody like yourself who's working with a, with a player and, you know, they're frustrated and you're frustrated, can't understand, you know, what's going on with the swing, why they can't get to something. We can put them through the screen and say, Hey, you know, you're telling me they're having a little bit of trouble with some, what's called, you know, they're standing up a lot more than you want them to, for example, they're losing their posture. Okay. You know, there it looks like their shoulder just, you know, isn't going to that position. So here's some stuff we can work on. Or I've had people in the past where it's like they had a shoulder replacement. So their shoulder is not going to go into that position anymore. So understand that. So, you know, I've had it and it's just such so much clarity for the for the pro and for the player to be able to say, okay, instead of smashing my head against the wall trying to do this thing that my body's just not gonna allow me to do, at least for the time being, how can we, you know, change the swing so I can have some more fun and, and be more successful? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and there I was, you know, uh, some point trying to, trying to do something that my body just physically wasn't going to allow. And, and as a, you know, as a golf instructor, as a golf coach, when I look at a player, my, my number one thing, right. So, I mean, I have this culture that I, you know, and, and, you know, kind of a, a way that I, I like to operate. My number one thing for a player is, you know, their wellness, um, you know, I, and I'll, sometimes I'll tell people, I'm like, look, well, yeah, golf is great. I want to make sure that you're not hurting yourself. I want to make sure that, you know, um, something that we're going to do here or nothing that we're going to do in the swing is going to cause more discomfort. Like I, I'll come up with ways to, you know, get the club on the, on the ball to right. allow that person to play. So, and, and that's, you know, why I love this relationship as well, because it's, you know, there have been times that I've sent people over like, Hey, I just want to make sure you know, I know what I've got in front of me and, you know, what, right. what can we do to help this player? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, I think, um, 
There's a couple of quick little questions I want to ask you, but I think we had a lot of good stuff there. So some good, some good things for people to go off. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. I think we've got plenty more to, to talk about. Um, I would, yeah, I would love to, that, yeah. you know, it was, this was good. This was really good. Yeah. I think a couple of uh, questions I'm always curious with people have played for a long time is, is do you have like, do you have a favorite course that comes to mind one you've played um, that you would have to, or would just one, you know, I know it's hard to pick a favorite, but uh, you know, maybe one that comes to mind when I ask that. Yeah. So I've, I've been lucky. I had the opportunity to play Seminole mm-hmm. uh, in Florida, the legendary Seminole, Juno beach Seminole. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was phenomenal. But um, I tell you what, there's something about Pinehurst. I had the opportunity to play uh, number two, number four, and the uh, last uh, actually two years ago, and I I I'd never been. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my first trip to Pinehurst. Um, <laughs> a lot of people were surprised to hear that as well. And I'll tell you what, there was something about that place between just the history and the golf course and the location that it just was captivating to me. Yeah. Um, I, I actually made it one of my future goals to live there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I would, that, that place is just inside of me now for some reason. So yeah. Great. And um, I know we just got done talking about how everybody's swing is their own, but do you have any is a professional golfer come to mind where when you just watch them swing, you're like, wow, I really love the way this person swings a golf club. You know what? I love the unorthodox swings like mm-hmm. Matthew Wolf. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Matthew Wolf, obviously, you know, Jim Furyk, everybody calls out Jim Furyk, but I, you know, I love to take a, take a golf swing, look at a golf swing like Matthew Wolf and, uh, and figure out, you know, how that person gets the club back on the ball with uh-huh. that motion. It just validates that there's no one right way. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted there's some, you know, obviously some talent there, but, um, I just, I love the unorthodox stuff. Sometimes I take heat for that. Everybody's like, man, you, you pick all the beautiful looking swings out there and you know, you're picking swings like that one. I'm like, yeah, I just, because it's, it's functional, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, I, I'm a curious guy. I like to, I like to know how those types of swings produce what they produce. Yeah. It's great to see. I think I looked at something not long ago about comparing, uh, Brooks Kepka's driver swing with Roy McElroy's. And looking at two very different body types, but guys who absolutely crush the ball, right? And just how different the swings are. I think they were looking at hip rotation, how much they got. I think Kepka's total hip rotation. So if you combine the backswing, how far pelvis rotates, and then through how far it rotates, you know, it was like 60-something degrees or 70 degrees. So, you know, 30-something in the backswing, 30-something in the downswing total, right? Yeah. And, and Rory was like 130 or something like that. You know, so just two completely different ways to generate <laughs> yep. power because Brooks is big, tall, strong, beefy dude. And Matt Roy's, well, I think he's like five, nine. He's not a big dude, but he absolutely creams the ball, you know, watched him hit the ball 400 plus yards multiple times, you know? So it's just interesting to see how, like you said, different people get the club to the ball. Yeah. I love that. I've always been fascinated by, um, I know, I guess this is what I do what I do, but I'm, I've always just been fascinated by the swing, the golf swing motion, especially just at high level. I could sit there and just <laughs> watch swings like that all day. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think what I usually like to leave this with is, you know, obviously the podcast is called the resilient athlete project and resilience is a, is a topic that, that I, I like a lot. And I always like to ask, you know, 
in, in a, you know, a couple of sentences or even a couple of words, whatever, whatever you think works for you, what does a concept of resilience mean to you? Bounce back. Um, we are always going to be challenged, especially, you know, com- competitively on the golf course in life, right? Um, you could, you could blanket statement the whole thing, but uh-huh. in, in terms of golf, um, you know, the, the bounce back, um, middle of a tournament, things are going well, all of a sudden a hole gets away from you, two holes get away from you. Uh, how you respond as a player after that will absolutely separate where you finish at the end of the day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my mindset and approach to golf and life has always been that the last hole doesn't necessarily have to dictate the next one. The last shot doesn't have to dictate the next shot. Um, if we allow it to, then it, then it can. Um, but that's, you know, that's just very quickly what, what it means to me when I hear that. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. And I think that that's a good place to leave it for the, the golfers out there, especially anybody, but the golfers out there, cause we're going to use the golf metaphor. Um, you know, if you're out on the course, you're going to, at times you'll learn a lot about yourself and get better when you just had the worst shot of your round and what's the next one going to look like, you know, and, and you could say the the most important hole is the next one. Right. So, you know, bounce back and keep moving forward. And thanks again, Gary, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Zach. This was, uh, this was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll definitely do it again. Sounds good. Cool. Hey, everybody. Just a few quick things before you take off. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast useful. The Resilient Athlete Project is brought to you by Wagner PT and Performance in Lakeville, Massachusetts, where I work with athletes of all ages to relieve pain and keep them in the game. For more information, or if you're interested in working with me, either in person or via remote consult, visit my website at www.wagnerptp.com. Also, don't forget to follow Wagner PT and Performance on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and reach out if you have any questions. Okay, everybody, thanks again, and we'll talk soon.